Hello and welcome to the Swine Disease Reporting System. This is the report number 55, where we're going to cover the findings from the pre previous month, the month of August. My name is Edison Magalhães, here at the SDRS studio. Hi, my name is Giovanni Trevisan, with the SDRS. Hi, my name is Guilherme, also from the SDRS. Hello, Daniel Linhares, also with SDRS. And today we're going to cover the findings from the previous month, as I mentioned, the month of August 2022. And after that, we're going to have a discussion with a special guest that we invited today. We invited Dr. JQ, so he's here joining us at the SDRS podcast. It's a pleasure to, to have him here. Dr. Zeng is currently a professor at Iowa State University and a diagnostic virologist focusing on swine medicine. Dr. Zeng got his medical degree from the Beijing Medical University and his PhD in molecular virology at the University of Kentucky, Lexington. His research has had a major impact in Iowa, in the US, and globally uh, in the global animal health. Specifically, he has worked with important emerging swine virus in the, uh, identification, such as PD, uh, Delta coronavirus, Seneca virus, and zoonotic virus such as influenza. And lastly, virus with significant impact, uh, economic impact in the swine industry, for example, with, with PERS. Dr. Zeng, it's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome uh, at the SDRS podcast. Thank you, Edison, for the introduction. Hello, everyone. I'm JQ Zhang. It's my pleasure to be here attending the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Zeng, for being here. And before we go for questions for you, we have some uh, we want to provide some highlights of the last month on this year. So, Guilherme, could you please provide us what is going on during what's going on during August on the diagnostic data? Yes, about the diagnostic data in our first page of our report about birth virus, we have a decrease in the percentage of positive submissions in this month of August, and also a marked decrease in the detection of the. RFLAP144 lineage 1C variant of the PERS virus detection since July and August is decreasing as well this number of detections. Mm -hmm. Moving to our second page when we talk about the enteric coronavirus, also we have good news because the overall lowest detection of Delta coronavirus we had this month comparing since 2018 with only 0.45% of the submissions being positive mm -hmm. submission. And moving to the PED, we also have a decrease in the number of positive detections, but however, is it still above the expected for the month of August, and we still having since like February this increased percentage of positive cases of PED. And when we move to the specific state baseline, we have five states that are still above the expected number of positive cases. There are Minnesota, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, and also North Carolina. Mm. In this level of arena of the detection, what these results mean for the swine industry? Yes, our advisory group highlighted that they have been working extensively in biosecurity measures to decrease the number of the virus uh, contamination between sites. They are doing uh, measures such as cleaning and disinfecting trucks coming from packing plants and also among sites. And they're expecting, all, expecting also feed deliveries and reinforcing also the importance of biosecurity regarding the caretakers that are all, always working in multiple sites, mainly in the growth finish farms. Mm -hmm. 
lots of learn there about biosecurity by containment then that that's good to see and what else do you have about the detection and diagnosis from the CRS yes moving to our next two pages that we have the mycoplasma influenza and pcv2 we also have a good a good month for this pathogens that we have a decreased number of positive submissions and what I would like to highlight here as well is was the market decrease in the PCV2 positive cases that last month we have a market increase in the winter market category and now we have a decrease in overhaul and all the other age categories as well. And how about disease diagnosis? Oh yeah in the disease diagnosis for confirmed tissue disease diagnosis cases equalize Again, leading the number of the enteric diseases cases since last month, and we had spikes of these disease detection in the week of July 18th and also August 1st. Mm -hmm. And what that mean? Any learning opportunity there? Yeah, our advisory group highlighted that across all the measures control for the E. coli, they are having successful cases using vaccination, for example, medication of the herd, and also some oral inoculation. And there is a perception of then as well that m most of these cases could be related with the diet transition from the pharaoh to the post-weaning phase current in the nursery part. Thank you for that, Glenn. Great highlights. And w one more thing that I want to add here is with the mission of the Swansea reporting system is to detect emerging animal health threats and just Right now, entered in our radar, a purse virus strain classified as lineage 1C124 is not lineage 1C variant, it's not the hot strain 144, with an increased number of detection uh, for this time of year when we compare with baselines. So, as this is something that just entered, we need to follow up with phylogenetic analysis, run this information to our advisory group, and get more information on what's going on there. So, keep tuned for the next report for more information and more details about what that means for this strain. And if you want to know more details about the advisory group, we have the names on, on uh, the PDF file. You can find the, the, the members, but it's pretty much people from the working in the industry uh, closely in, in the field. So we run the, the, what information that we are finding here and get their feedback and bring that back to you guys. Very good. Thank you uh, for, the, for bringing the major findings, Giovanni and, and, and Guilherme. So now we'll start a conversation with Dr. Zeng uh, focusing on PERS virus isolation and specifically the PERS uh, lineage 1C variant. Dr. Zeng, recently your research group published data about PERS isolation and a comparison between two cell lines with interesting findings about preferred specimens for PERS isolation. Could you summarize to our audience what would be these preferable samples to increase our likelihood of isolating the virus? Sure. First, isolation in cell culture is commonly conducted for different purposes. For example, to determine if a sample contains a live or infectious virus or not, mm -hmm. or to obtain a per-isolate for autonomous vaccine production, or to obtain a per-isolate for diagnostic assays such as uh, virus strain-specific neutralization antibody assay, mm -hmm. or to obtain a per-isolate for further characterizations such as the pathogenicity study or the vaccine protective efficacy study and so on. Historically, the Mark 25 cell line is commonly used for PERS VI. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. However, the VI success rate in Mark 45 cells is frustratingly low. ZMAC is a cell line derived from porcine alveolar macrophages. It was first developed by Dr. Federico Zuckman, and it was licensed to the Apple Immune Company. We obtained the ZMAC cell line and compared PERS-VI in two cell lines using the clinical samples, including different uh, specimen types, such as uh, serum, lung, oral fluid, processing fluid. So I'm going to you know, highlight uh, several major points. Number one, it is a challenge to isolate pearls from oral fluid and processing fluid, regardless of using ZMAC or Mark 45 cell lines. So the preferred specimen type for pearls VI are lung, over serum, over processing fluid, and oral fluid. Number two, for serum and lung samples, the PERS-VI success rate is significantly higher in ZMAC cells than in Mark 45 cells. Number three, for cost effectiveness, we recommend to isolate PERS from serum or lung samples with a PCR-CT value lower than 30, 30. Number four, for samples containing linge 1 or linge 8 type 2 PERS, PERS-VI success rate is significantly higher in ZMAC than in Mark 45 cells. In contrast, for samples containing linge 5 in GLVAC PERS MLV vaccine-like strains, the VI success rate was similar in two cell lines. So number five, uh, be aware that not all of the post-isolate obtained in ZMAC cells will grow in Mark 45 cells. For example, we put 82 post-isolate obtained in ZMAC cells back to Mark 45 cell line. We find that 57% of those grew and 43% did not grow in Mark 45 cells. In contrast, when we put 45 post-isolate obtained in Mark 45 cells back to ZMAC, all of those grew. Mm. So the point is that for those alternative vaccine companies using Mark 45 cell line for their production, so if we forward a post-isolate obtained in ZMAC cells to them, there's a risk that they could not propagate the ZMAC isolate in their Mark 45 production system to produce the vaccine. Just to keep this uh, you know, in mind. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks for the highlights, JQ. And following up, as you said, not all wild-type strains are expected to be isolated, right? So what, what are the, the implications for that? So if we get, for example, and do a, a whole genome sequencing directly from clinical samples compared to a whole genome sequencing a virus that you isolated in the cells, though that may be some differences, right? So how do, how, how do we put that in the context of... Uh, epidemiological investigations. Yes, so to answer that question, I think I need to briefly uh, talk about the procedure of the post-isolation. You know. So for most of the labs, um, they rely on cytopathic effect, also called a CPE, and immunofluorescence staining using post-specific monoclonal antibody to determine the post-VI outcomes in cell culture. So if a CPE is observed and the fluorescence staining is positive, 
that just reported the POTS VI positive. However, it was unclear if the POTS isolate obtained in cell culture have the same sequence as the POTS present in the original clinical samples. Mm-hmm. So recently, my group determined the POTS of five sequences from over 1,000 clinical samples and their corresponding MARC-45 and ZMAC isolate. So we have some interesting findings. So for most of the cases, uh, to be more accurate, it's about 88.6% of the cases. The viruses in clinical samples and MARC-45 isolate or ZMAC isolate, they have matching sequences. So no concerns, no problem. However, for about 1.4% of the cases, the predominant of five sequences determined from the clinical samples were different from the sequences in their MARC-45 isolate. Mm. But the sequences from the clinical sample and from the ZMAC isolate, they have matched, they match each other. So we further, you know, analyze the sequences to find out that for this about 1.4% of the cases, most of the, the MARC-45 isolate actually have the include uh, NGLVAC, plus MLV vaccine-like viruses. Mm-hmm. But in the clinical samples and ZMAC isolate, they are the wider type of strains. So this is concerning. So think about it. If you identified a pretty unique water type of pearls in your clinical samples. You request the pearls VI to get uh, isolated for different applications, but there's a risk that the Mark 45 isolate we obtained did not include the desired water type strain, but instead it included the vaccine virus. So that's not what you wanted, you know. So then we further did some investigation of those cases, we found out that actually for those about 1.4% of cases, the clinical samples include more than one per strain. So that's a mixed infection. So let's say, example, uh, one clinical sample contained a water type strain A, the high concentration, the predominant one. Then you also have the minor vaccine strain B, lower concentration, okay? When you do the sequencing, you just determine the predominant water type sequencing from the clinical samples. However, if this water type strain does not grow well in MARC-45 cells and compared to the vaccine strain B, okay? During the VI process in MARC-45 cells, you may just isolate vaccine strain B instead of the predominant water type strain A. So that is our hypothesis to interpret the phenomenon we observed. Mm. So the bottom line, our take home message is that um, it will be a good practice to determine sequences from the clinical samples and from the cell cut isolate to make sure they have the same virus before using the pulse isolate for different applications. Especially for vaccine production, right? So just make sure you isolate it, great. But just double check, sequence the clinical sample, sequence the vaccine, the, the virus isolated, and just make sure they're close enough so that you don't 
yeah. vaccinate with the non-predominant virus or vaccine virus, right? Vaccine-like yeah. virus. Correct. Thank you. That makes sense. So these are interesting findings about birds isolation, Dr. Zhang. And we are moving, still talking about birds, but more about the L1C variant right now. Since it's emergent, this caused like several losses to the swine industry. So could you share your thoughts on what point we are right now about this strain characterization and why are it more transmissible or pathogenic, for example? Do we have like this answer about this question? And what is your perspective? What do you think about the L1C variants occurrence in the U.S. for the future of this strain? Yeah, sure. So we all know that uh, PERS is a INA virus with a high mutation rate and a high recombination rate. So it is uh, not uh, surprising that the PERS variant strains periodically emerge. Mm -hmm. So some mm -hmm. PERS variant strains could establish a stable infection in pig population and further spread out. Some PERS variant strains could just cause a transient infection and then disappear. So in recent years, at least in the U.S., the two major emerging PERS strains that have established a stable infection in pig population are 174, Linju 1A strain, and the 144L1C variant strain. Mm -hmm. So regarding the 144L1C variant strain, it first emerged in the Midwest of the U.S., mainly the Iowa and Minnesota swine farms in October 2020. But in the past two years, it has spread to other states. Also in 2021-2022, the detection rate of 144L1C variant has increased. For example, if you look at uh, all of the RFP pattern 144 sequences in 2020, the 144L1C variant occupied roughly 10%. However, in 2021 and 2022, among all of these 144 sequences, L1C variant occupied roughly 60%. So based on the field observations, uh, this L1C variant strain is associated with the high production losses, uh, you know, including pig morbidity and mortality. You know. So the impression that uh, this L1C variant strain is uh, highly virulent. However, we wanted to experimentally confirm that. So my group conducted an uh, experimental inoculation study. Um, we used uh, five strains. So basically, that includes 144L1C variant strain, 144L1C non-variant strain, 144LINJ1A, 144LINJ1H, and also the 174LINJ1A, and plus negative control group. So totally six groups for the comparison. Uh, we use the four weeks old naive pigs for this study. Administration roughly is both intramuscular and intranasal inoculation. So, based on the clinical signs, the mortality, body temperature, uh, the viremia levels, and uh, gross lung lesions, uh, we have demonstrated that uh, this 144R1C variant strain is uh, highly virulent in wing pigs. Uh, it's um, more virulent than the other four strains. The 174LINJ1A is in the middle, a little lower than 144L1C variant, but uh, high, more virulent than the other three strains. Mm -hmm. 
So we also, you know, introduce the contact pigs, uh, try to, to see the transmissibility of these uh, viruses. So basically at uh, two days post-contact, uh, post-inoculation, sorry, so we put uh, four pigs, contact pigs, into each inoculation room. Mm. We put in another pen, but with the know, to know the contact uh, with those inoculated pigs. Mm-hmm. So at two days post-contact, for this 144R1C variant group, four out of four contact pigs got infected. Mm-hmm. But in other groups, only two out of four or zero out of four contact pigs got uh, infected. So it kind of suggests that uh, this 144R1C variant strain may have the higher transmissibility compared to other strains. But of course, we needed to use more pigs to verify this result. So we also determined the whole genome sequences of these five strains and did some sequence analysis. So it is, un- it is pretty clear that uh, this uh, 144R1C variant strain is a recombinant virus derived from Linge1A and Linge1C. However, at this point, we cannot pinpoint what you know, genetic determinant you know, for virulence or for transmissibility of those phenotypes. Mm-hmm. So those remain to be determined. Those are great information, Dr. GQ. Thanks for sharing all of that. And I remember to watch a presentation from you at the World Pork Expo Pulse Symposium. And at that time, you mentioned that, that was in the beginning of June, that you mentioned that uh, one study that was going to follow up was about the efficacy of Pulse MLV vaccines for this lineage on C variant strain. Do you have any preliminary data already that you could share with your audience for that study? Or any uh, update on that? <laughs> Yes, uh, we planned to evaluate the six um, PERS-2 commercial MLV vaccines, that including NGLVAC PERS-MLV, NGLVAC PERS-ATP, the Fostral Prevencent, PrimaPEC, and PERS-GAP, totally six uh, vaccines. We want to evaluate uh, their protective efficacy against this uh, 144L1C variant strain. Um, Good thing that we have successfully obtained some funding from the ASV Foundation, the ILAC, and the Iowa Pork Producers Association. We finished the ICAC protocol, it's approved, so we are going to start the study in on the middle of October so of this year. So hopefully in the early of next year we will have some data to share. That'd be good. This one <laughs> this report system audience is going to come back and ask you for that. So <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And also for our audience, we are going to have a bonus page this month summarizing all these research highlights from the Dr. Zen group. So I think it would be a good information for the swine industry as well. Oh, very good. Thanks again, Dr. Zeng. Very good information. Uh, I think this is really important also for our audience, a lot of people from the field, how they're best practices on, on collecting and interpreting the information. We're going to do the autogenous vaccine, very good information. And also the highlights on the, the updates on the lineage 1C variant. And looking forward for the, the, also the results from your next study. Thanks again for, for accepting our invitation and joining us in, in this podcast edition. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. Thank so you. That was, that was it, guys, for this, this month. And uh, see you guys at the next report. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you.